New Year is a time of resolutions, is it, is it not? I don't know how many of you have made resolutions this year, uh, but generally we see a whole sweep of resolutions ranging from different walks of life, different areas uh, that people have from uh, fixing a time to wake up in the morning, from working out to resolving not to eat sweets, um, to losing weight. Yeah, you have a whole sweep of different kind of resolutions that you make every year. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to a resolution that someone made that is recorded for us in the Bible. King David, who made a resolution. And it's written in Psalm 101 for us. The psalm is believed to have been written early on in his reign as king. King David, his reign as king over Israel as he took over from Saul and he was reigning as king. And you get a feel from just reading this psalm that these are resolutions by just looking at the number of times the word I will is repeated. And if you just take a stock of it, this is just nine times that he repeats, I will, I will, I will. And there's a strong resolve that he is making that, that he will do certain things. But these resolutions that we see here in Psalm 101 are way different than the ones that we generally make, especially on a New Year's Day or just before the New Year. In these resolutions are etched not just resolutions that a king or a leader should be making, but as you notice, the posture of the heart in these resolutions that these resolutions depict, these are resolutions that should be made by every person in authority and even every believer of Jesus. These aren't resolutions that are optional. Like, you can't decide, okay, this year I'm not going to resolve to do these things. It isn't optional for us. Because this is what we were created to do. This is what we were redeemed to do. This is normal Christian life that, that needs to be lived out in these resolutions. And these aren't resolutions that should be made only in the beginning of the year, only to be broken the next week. But these are resolutions that we as believers make every day, every moment of our life, if we believe in Jesus. And so as we look at these resolutions, brothers and sisters, I want us to eagerly desire and resolve to live holy lives Lives which are dependent on Christ and lives which honor Christ. So what are the areas in our life that we should be desiring and resolving to live holy lives? Well, from a broad perspective, there's two areas that we should be looking at holiness, pursuing holiness. That's one in our private life and another in our public life. And that's how 
David has structured his resolutions. If you look at verses 1 through 4, you see the resolutions that he's making personally. And verses 5 through 8, you see the resolutions that he's making as him in his public life. And that's how we will be looking at this text. So firstly, brothers and sisters, resolve to pursue holiness in your personal lives. David begins the psalm. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. He just begins the psalm with a resolve to sing. And what is he singing about? Or what does he want to sing about? It's steadfast love and justice. And the minute you hear this combination of steadfast love and justice, especially for an Israelite, it would take him back to Exodus. The Exodus account where in Exodus chapter 34, God revealed himself to his people in a specific way. And he reveals himself as one who is a God who is of steadfast love and a God of justice. If you look at Exodus chapter 34 and verse 8, this is what God says as he reveals himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is what rings for an Israelite when the words steadfast love and justice are mentioned. And each of these words are so weighty for them. Just the word steadfast love, it's, it's beautiful and rich. The, the Hebrew word that is being used here is, is hesed. And it's just this loaded word which talks about the mercy, the kindness that is given to God's covenant people, the one whom he chose, the one who are his treasured possession the one who failed again and again, but yet God pursues them and brings them back. He's persistent. He's patient. He pursues them, even though they've messed up. And even if you look at the context in which God reveals himself as a God of steadfast love and justice, you see that they just have messed up big time in worshipping that golden calf. And God reveals himself to them and shows them that, hey, I am this God of steadfast love. So they knew what steadfast love meant. And they also knew what the justice of God meant. Because every time they went astray, they knew that they were going to be punished. That they were going to be disciplined and judged for their sins. And both these qualities, steadfast love and justice, both needed to be shown and both need to go hand in hand. Like having two sides of the same coin. That's God's character. And that's how he has revealed himself to his people, a God of steadfast love and a God of justice. Because God would be unfair if he was all about steadfast love and not just. If he would let sin just go unpunished. He would not be fair. And God would not be fair again if he was all justice and did not show any love to his people. 
But the way that he has revealed himself is in both of these qualities, his love and just. And for David, understanding both these qualities together was so pivotal. Because what was his role as he wrote this psalm? His role was king. He was God's representative to ensure rule and God's reign for his people. He was God's vice regent. And for him to rule his people, he needed to understand God's steadfast love and justice because he had to meet that out to his own people. And he needed to know that. And if David had to show these characters in his life as he led his people, he had to know them well. And David knew well about God's steadfast love and justice because he's seen that. He's seen how God has led them both from Israel's history and his own life. He knows it so well that he begins this psalm by resolving to sing about God's steadfast love and justice. You don't sing about something until there is an overflow of something that you know. And you see here David beginning this psalm with that resolve, I will sing of the steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. That's how he begins this psalm. So let me ask you this question. As you reflect back on your life, even just the last year, the year that has gone by, have you seen God's love, steadfast love, pursuing love, mercy, kindness in your own life? We've sinned. If you just take a stock of your life, just in the last year, how many times have we fallen? How many times have we messed up? And when we look at the way that God has pursued us, the way that he has reached out to us, the God who made a covenant with his people Israel has made a covenant, a better covenant with us. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. It's been sealed by his blood. A covenant that is far better. A covenant where he says, I will wash you clean. I will remember your sins no more. Just the number of times that we have messed up. He has pursued us and he has forgiven us. Have we not tasted his steadfast love? And have we not tasted his justice? For the many times that he has nudged us with his rod of discipline, calling to attention, where are you going? What are you doing? His rod of discipline, like a father disciplines his child, he has disciplined us out of love to, to correct us, to bring us back into the fold. How many times has he done that just in this last year? And as you reflect on God's steadfast love and God's justice, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we resolve to sing? Or do we just look at that and just walk off as if it didn't matter? As if God is just obligated to do all of that to us? The fact that we are here today is because of His grace. 
because of his steadfast love and his justice. And we must resolve to sing of that. Sing to the Lord. Sing of our Redeemer and his wondrous love to us. On the cruel cross, he suffered from the curse to set us free. David continues with his resolutions. Verse 2, he says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? David is saying he's, he's going to resolve to ponder on a way that is blameless, a way that is complete, that is whole, that is without any sin. And he's going to meditate on such a way. Why? He follows that up with a question. He says, Oh, when will you come to me? Why does David make such a statement? He would make such a statement because he feels that God is distant. God is far away. There's this longing that he has for God to come near him. And a very probable situation in which he could have made this statement is, if you remember David and, and his life and the story, there was a time when the ark of God, the ark of God where the presence of God dwelt, it was away from Jerusalem. The Philistines had captured it and it was kept in a place, in a house of Obedidim. And David wanted to get that back to, to Jerusalem and he goofed up. There was a particular way in which the ark had to be carried but he didn't pay attention and, and he goofed up and the end result was Uzzah was killed. He touched the ark and he was struck dead. David, he realizes his mistake and here you see a cry of anguish. He says, Oh Lord, this separation is painful. I don't want this to continue. You seem distant. You seem so far away. And so now, I will ponder the way that is blameless. And I will make sure that I don't mess up the same way that I messed up the last time. When will you come to me? He's searching. He's meditating so that he will know what is that blameless path. So that God will draw near to him and he will learn from his mistake. Friends, let me ask you this question. What have you been pondering about? What has been your meditation even just the, just the last week? Has it been about a successful career that you can have? Has it been about the money that you can earn? About a dream vacation that you can go on? A dream house that you can own? The praise that you can receive from people? The marriage that you so long for? None of these are inherently wrong. 
Let me clarify that. None of these are inherently wrong. But if these are filling up your mind and you are idolizing them, that you fail to ponder on the way that is blameless, then there's a problem. There's an issue. Because when we fail to ponder on God's ways, the immediate result is we fall into sin. And sin, it separates us from God. You feel worn out. You feel dry. God seems distant to you. And this morning, if God seems distant to you because of your sin against Him, your, your meditation, may it be on God's Word. May you be filling your minds with His Word. His Word that is blameless upright, whole. Resolve to ponder on the way that is blameless. Like David cried out to him, cry out to him, O Lord, when will you draw near? And the promise is, when you cry out to him, he will listen. He will come to you. Look at what James says in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. The promise is, when we draw near to Him, when we ponder on a way that is blameless, and when we cry out to Him, He will draw near to us. He will come near us. And He will be with us. Not just was David going to ponder about God in his mind, but these truths were going to affect his life. We read on. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. The place where we lack integrity, many of us, is within the closed doors of our houses and within the deep recesses of our hearts. Your heart is the seat of your emotion and, and your will. To walk in integrity is one thing. To walk in integrity of heart is another thing. You can force yourself to walk in a particular way on the outside, but to be a particular person on the inside is very different. Do you recall Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees? He said, You people worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, didn't he? Beautiful on the outside, stinking and, and filth on the inside. David didn't want to leave any stone un unturned. He knew what God was after. 
He knew where holiness mattered. It's in the privacy of your heart. It's in the privacy of your home. That's where it begins. And David knew that. The most private places for a person which is hidden to those outside. That's where holiness should begin. That's where holiness should be pursued. And so let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. When no one is watching, where does your heart lead you? What do you fill yourself up with? As you stay behind closed doors in your home, what do you chase after? The ones closest to you, what do they see in you? When David says, in his, within my house, he's talking about the people who, who stay close to him. He was living in the palace. They were his friends, his family. The people close to him were there, who were seeing him day in and day out. And so, what are the people closest to you what do they see in your life? A person who pursues holiness, first and foremost pursues holiness in his heart and in his home. He isn't one person on the inside and another person on the outside. He is not one person on Sunday when we meet as a church and he's not another person on the rest of the days of the week. Because if you are shady on the inside and on outside you are portraying to be someone else, be sure it will show. Sooner rather than later, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And be sure your sin will find you out. Resolve to pursue holiness in your heart, in your home. That's where holiness begins. This is the one, a one who pursues holiness in his heart and in his home. This is the one whom God commends. May we resolve to be such people. Verse 3, David continues, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Do you see how vigilant David is? He's, he's talked about his mind which is prone to wander. He's saying, I'm going to ponder on a way that is blameless. He's talked about his heart, which is the core of his being. He's talked about his home, the seclusion of his home, where he is most prone to sin. And now he's shifting his, his gaze to his eyes, his focus to his eyes, where he's, which can lead him to fall prey to sin. And what is the resolution with his eyes? He says, I resolve to not set anything that is worthless. Anything that is vile, wicked, corrupt, which doesn't produce any spiritual good, I will not set my eyes on that. Because what we feed ourselves with is what we end up becoming. And what our hearts cling to. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Paul says this. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
David was saying this at a time when there was no internet, there was no smartphones, there was no social media, stuff that you can just wail away your time, waste your time. Imagine how much more vigilant we must be in our age to keep ourselves from worthless things, things that are vile, corrupt, wicked, things which can destroy our souls, which can destroy our marriages, which can destroy our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. It's dangerous. So again, friends, my question to you is this. What have you been setting your eyes upon? Is it sexual content? Is it things which satisfy your selfish desires? Is it things to feed your gluttonous behavior? If these are worthless, if these are useless to you, the call is to flee from them. Resolve to flee, not set anything that is worthless before your eyes. That's God's way of leading you to life. And friends, if you're struggling, if you're addicted to watching, watching things that you ought not to watch, get accountable. Get, know that, that you can talk to somebody in church and you can find help. Run to the Lord. Run to His people where you can find refuge and comfort and, and forgiveness and restoration and you can walk in victory. If you're struggling with lust, like Job says in, in Job 33.1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then would I, could I gaze at a virgin? Saying, how then can I lust? Make this covenant with your eyes that you will not set anything that is worthless. David continues, he says, I hate the work of all those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Who were these men who fell away? Look at the life of David. There were plenty of examples of men who fell away. Fell away as in they, they ran, from, ran away from the faith that they had on God. They were faithless. He had Saul, his predecessor, who was crowned as king and who messed up, who failed and who fell away. Even before that, he had bad examples. He had Eli, Ophni, Phinehas, all of them who, who just fell away. He had all of these bad examples in front of him, people who fell away, and amidst all these bad examples and influences, David says, I resolve to do something. I resolve not to be driven by their example, rather he will have a righteous indignation towards those who do such things. He says he will hate those who fall away. Righteous anger against those who do not trust in the steadfast love and the justice of God. People who fall away. And he will not let any of that character rub on him. Isn't that how we should be pursuing holiness in our lives? 
being vigilant to see what are the influences, what are the areas that we are vulnerable in and we are prone to fall and ensuring and resolving not to fall into them. And bad examples, false examples around us can play such a big influence in our lives unless we are vigilant. Be guarding yourselves from wrongful influences. Purpose in your hearts to not follow their footsteps. Be people who are set apart and people who are holy. In verse 4 again, David echoes these same thoughts. He says, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. A heart which is entertaining perversion. He was going to pursue integrity of heart, but a person whose heart is perverse, he's saying, that's going to be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Paul says something similar to the Romans. In Romans chapter 16, he says, be, be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. In other words, he's saying, don't let evil stain you in any way. Stay away from it. Don't toy with it. Don't think that it's fine. I can go this far. Stay away. Guard and protect yourself from wrongful influences. I'm not saying you should not be associating with anyone. Live an isolated, secluded life. No. The call is to be vigilant. The call is to see the influence that it can have on you. And be careful. Be wise in your dealings, in your interactions with those around. As you see this resolve for holiness in his personal life, did you notice that these are active choices that David is making in his life? He's not living passively and, and just letting things go by each day as if it didn't matter. These were active choices that he was making and resolving to do each day of his life. He's vigilant to see all points of vulnerabilities and he's saying, I'm going to resolve to do this, this and this so that I can be holy before God. God of steadfast love and a God of justice. When I fail, I cling on to his steadfast love. When I fail, I see his justice and again I run to him. His pursuit of holiness was relying on the God of steadfast love and justice. And may we make similar choices every day in our life. Every day. Not only did David purpose to pursue holiness in his personal life, but he also resolved to pursue holiness in his public life. And that's my second point. Resolve to pursue holiness in your public life. Verses 5 through 8. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Who's the one who slanders? The one who talks behind people's back and spreads false information. 
In other words, a person who lies. Who's a person who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart? These are people who are proud. People who think that they don't need anyone. They're fine by themselves. Especially they don't need God. Nor his people. To put it in another way, these are people who do not depend on the steadfast love and justice of God. And what is David saying about these people? He says, he will destroy these people and he will not endure them. We'll come to what destroy means in a bit, but what he's essentially saying is, I'm not going to build any relationship with people that is based on lies and that is based on pride. No relationship with people that is based on lies and that, that is based on pride. And so the question to ask ourselves is this, what are your relationships built on? Are there relationships that you are building today based on lies and based on pride? Do you see a genuineness in the relationships that you have? Or is there a mask, is there a facade between you and somebody else in that relationship? Is there hiding of sin? Or is there openness and genuinity in that relationship? A relationship that God calls us to have is one that is truthful and one that is humble. Not the opposite. And we need to be resolving to not have these kind of relationships. To stay away from people who lie, people who are proud, because sooner rather than later, it's going to influence you. And you are going to fall prey to the same sin in your own life. People who are open and people who are honest. These are the people that you need to be building your relationships on. He continues the same train of thought in verses 7 and 8. We'll come back to verse 6. But in verse 7 he says, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. You just read this and you see a strong language that David is using against people who are not pursuing holiness. And you ask, why is he doing this? Look at the language that he's using. He says, I'm going to destroy all the wicked. I will not endure. It shall, they shall not dwell in my house. No one who practices deceit shall continue before my eyes. I will cut off all the evildoers. Remember, he was king over Israel. He was God's representative who had to ensure God's steadfast love and justice was carried out, was meted out to his people. And God's command was to destroy people who lived in unrepentant sin, who did not rely on his steadfast love and justice, who were not behaving in a way that was becoming of the covenant that God had made with his people, and they needed to be cut off. And David needed to do that in his rule and his realm of authority. 
And notice in these verses, you know that you, you realize that David knew his realm of authority. Just notice these words. He mentions specifically, he says, in the land, in my house, in the city of the Lord. That's where his realm of authority was. He needed to ensure that his people that were under him were, did not pursue sin, but they rather pursued holiness and were set apart as God had called them to. And like David, we too are called to get rid of sin. Not just in our personal lives, but in our lives together as his people. We don't destroy people. We don't kill people. Like David has had authority to do as king. But there are clear steps that God has given us. Has he not? In our realm of authority in the home, parents, you are called to deal with sin. You are called to not let sin persist in the members of your home, especially your children. You are called to instruct them and teach them in the way that they should be going. Fathers, husbands, you have been given the authority to establish God's rule and reign in your families. In ensuring that your household is relying on the steadfast love and justice of God and not drift away from it. And when you see that not happening, you are called to act. You are called to be vigilant and you are called to action when that doesn't happen. If your wife is being led astray, you are called to teach, you are called to pursue her. If your children are, are drifting away, you are called to discipline. You are called to bring them back. This responsibility that God has given. You don't endure sin. You take steps to cut it off. And when there is repentance, again it's time for you to show the steadfast love of God. You don't just sit back and relax. You show His justice. You show God's steadfast love in the realm of authority that you have. In our realm of authority as members, we are called to deal with sin. We are to look for the yeast of sin that can spread, which can influence us. And we are called to, to cut it off. We are called to guard each other from sin. This is what we have covenanted to do as, as members of this church. When we see unrepentant sin, we don't sit thinking that it's someone else's job. Let them handle it. No, we have a realm of authority and we need to act. We need to call to repentance. And when person does not turn, we even go to the extent of excommunicating that person and not fellowshipping with that person. Those are the steps that we are called to take in dealing with sin. In our realm of authority as elders, we are called to exercise oversight. If sin is not dealt with appropriately, we ought to be teaching, laboring and teaching and equipping so that the members can play their role and engage in the works of ministry. 
The elders are called to look out for wolves in, in sheep's clothing, which can destroy the sheep and warn members of it. We don't let sin dwell in our midst, but we purge it. Because our bodies, individually and collectively as God's people, is the temple of the living God. And if He is dwelling in us, sin has no place. Do you recall what Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty. And Paul concludes, after quoting this, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's our call. That's how we deal with sin. And notice, in verse 8, David says, he does this morning by morning. And every day choice that he makes to cut off sin, to put off sin, not just individually, but together in the realm of influence that he has. Cut off sin. May we resolve to deal righteously and with justice when we see sin around us. When there's repentance and, forgive and, and, and turning, may we show the steadfast love of Christ. How do we deal with those who walk righteously? You see, again, a resolution in verse 6. In stark contrast to how he will deal with the wicked, look at how David deals with the faithful. Verse 6, he says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. These are the faithful ones, not the ones who fall away. These are the faithful ones who are there, who are relying on the steadfast love and justice of God. And he says, these are the ones who will surround me. They will dwell with me. In verse 2, he was resolving to ponder on the way that is blameless. And here in verse 6 he says, he's going to let those who walk in a way that is blameless minister to him. And so my question to you brothers and sisters is, who are the people surrounding you this morning? Are these the faithful people who rely on the steadfast love of God and His justice? This year, if you've not done this already, get into godly discipling relationships. 
in relationships in which the faithful will minister to your soul. Not relationships in which you will feel comfortable and your sin is left undealt with. But rather, put yourself in, in relationships where sin can be pointed out. It's no doubt messy. It's no doubt painful. But it's good for your soul. These are the relationships that you should be pursuing. These are the people that should be around you. And so, may you resolve to have the faithful minister to you this year. Holiness begins with our personal lives. But it should spread to our public life, especially in our relationships at home, in our relationships in the church, and in every realm of authority that God has placed us in. As we see these resolutions that David makes, I also want you to notice what happened in his life. These are believed to have been made during the beginning of his reign as king. These resolutions that he made. But how did David turn out in his life? We know that he failed. In fact, when you look at this, these resolutions closely and you look at David's life closely, you know that he failed in every one of these. He failed miserably. He failed to ponder on the way that was blameless. He set worthless things before his eyes and he fell into adultery. He didn't walk in the integrity of his heart and in his house, but rather he schemed deceitfully and he killed a man. He didn't cut off the wicked from the land when he allowed his wicked son Amnon to go unpunished after he raped his daughter Tamar. He didn't destroy people who slandered him behind his back. He failed in all of these resolutions. And if David, a man after God's own heart, can fail miserably, what then is our hope? Some of us might just look at these resolutions and say, what's the point? I've been trying to do all of these things. I tried it the previous year. I tried it the last year. I failed miserably. What then is my hope? If you are at that place, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to see the one who has fulfilled this psalm perfectly. David sang about this psalm. But he was actually prophesying about his greater son who will come and who will fulfill these resolutions perfectly. The one who will ponder on the way that is blameless. The one who will not set anything worthless before his eyes. One who will know nothing of evil. One who will look on favor on the faithful. And the one who will one day cut off all the wicked. Jesus was the one who would keep this faithfully. And friends, because of his life, his death, his burial, resurrection, he paves a way for us to be enabled, to be empowered, to, to make these statements. He empowers us to strive to, to do these things in our lives. And so if you are dejected, if you are feeling disappointed that, that you failed, rely on Him. Pursuing holiness doesn't mean that you are 
doing everything perfectly and you have this checklist and you check these off day in and day out. No. Pursuing holiness begins with relying on the God who has paid it all. Where you look at what He's done, where you see that your righteousness is not based on what you do in a given day, but because of what He has done and seeing that and pursuing each day and making statements like these. Relying on Him, His steadfast love, His justice, and walking. And even when you fail, you run back to Him. You ponder on the way that is blameless. And you cry out, O Lord, when will you come to me? And you know He will come to us. Don't beat yourself down with the guilt of sin. But look at the victory that Christ has achieved on your behalf, on the cross. And so stand up and resolve to honor Him. If you are at that place of self-reliance and you think that I got this covered, I got this checked off, I can do all this, let me give you a word of caution that Jesus himself gave in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Rely on his steadfast love. Morning by morning, as you resolve to pursue holiness in your personal life and in your public life, remember, morning by morning, His mercies are new. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. David knew that. When he failed, when he failed miserably, he relied on the steadfast love and justice of God. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And may that be our desire, our resolve. Brothers and sisters, eagerly desire and resolve to live holy lives which are dependent on Christ and honor Christ. May God help us.